Welcome to Atmospheric Tales, a podcast that amplifies stories and experiences related to air pollution and climate change from around the world. I'm your host Shahzad Ghani and welcome to another episode of Atmospheric Tales. Our previous episode was the first half of the conversation between our guest Mustafa Santiago Ali and our interviewer Crystal Upperman. In this episode, we continue the discussion on environmental justice with Crystal and Mustafa. So Mustafa, you are highly involved in the Hip Hop Caucus. In fact, my husband is a big hip hop fan. We truly miss live con- concerts currently, you know, because of COVID-19, we're all sheltering in place. But in 2017, you joined the Hip Hop Caucus as the VP of Climate, Environmental Justice and Community Revitalization. And for those who might be unaware of what the Hip Hop Caucus is, can you share with us more about the caucus and how the organization has moved the needle and will continue to champion environmental justice? Yeah, you know, the Hip Hop Caucus was founded by Reverend Yearwood. It came together out of four organizations, you know, incredible people who had uh, other organizations that were uh, in the entertainment space, and one of them was in the union space. Um, And Rev had the, the forethought to know that there was this huge amount of folks across our country who had incredible ideas, incredible energy, and they needed a space to be able to make it happen. You know, Russell Simmons had an organization, P. Diddy or Puffy had an organization, and all of this energy was coming together. Um, and uh, the, the caucus has celebrated its 15th anniversary. And it, it just wow. gives voice, it gives voice to the folks. Yeah, I mean, I give a lot of credit to Rev because he had the foresight to understand what was needed and what were some of the the challenges and opportunities that were on the horizon. Um, And that if you could work with artists and entertainers, you know, and and not just the, the national ones that people see, but folks who are regional artists, folks who are local artists, Um, uh, and also, you know, young folks of color and returning citizens, that you could have a formula uh, for change that could be extremely transformational. So, you know, the Hip Hop Caucus has done incredible, incredible work in the civic space, you know, around voting, uh, the Respect My Vote campaign, and having artists and entertainers um, share how important your vote is and how powerful your vote is in addressing many of these issues that we see inside of our communities. You know, right now, in this moment, so many people are focused on, uh, you know, the police brutality that has been happening inside of our communities and the murders that have happened inside of our communities. And sometimes folks don't understand that their vote can help to determine who's the district attorney, who's the mayor, who's the sheriff, who's the chief of police, you know, who's the attorney general on the state level. And if we get engaged in this process, we can help to determine who are those individuals. Are these individuals who understand the dynamics inside of our community and are are willing to work uh, in this evolution that needs to happen um, as an example? Um, so your, your vote also is tied to resources. And lots of times people don't understand that. Um, so your vote can make sure that you have these amenities inside of your community that are so critical uh, to have thriving communities. Um, so with the Respect My Vote campaign, you know, they had uh, T.I. who kicked it off. 
Uh, and even at that time, T.I. wasn't even sure if he could vote because, you know, he had had some legal challenges. And lots of times mm-hmm. people understand what their their rights are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two chains has been a part of it. Um, I mean, there's a laundry list of, of uh, artists uh, who participated uh, and continue to participate in the Respect My Vote mm-hmm. campaign. So, you know, Rev and the whole team there, you know, were light years ahead uh, of many others and understanding that these hip hop artists and others um, have these incredible platforms. And once they have the information uh, and the education and they can flip it um, mm. and, you know, people coming to concerts and registering to vote while mm-hmm. at, the com- uh, at the concerts and, and all the other things that could happen out of that. And then, you know, the caucus has also been focused on environmental justice uh, and climate change and divestment. So, mm. you know, the hip hop caucus was one of the first out there you know, focusing on divest and reinvest, because sometimes the conversation stops at the divestment part. Mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. resources are still out there. So how are you going to focus those resources in a way um, that there's actually benefits for our communities? Um, so, you know, Rev and the rest of, of, of the team, you know, have always been focused on uh, the divest, invest, and also environmental justice and climate change, and taking it, as Rev and I would often say, from the streets to the suites. So having bus tours, you know, where actually going out into communities and doing, you know, doing these documentaries on what's going on and then bringing artists uh, into the space. And of course, you know, kids and others go crazy when they get a chance to see, you know, their favorite artists and be able to touch them, uh, be able to sit down and chop it up with them. You know, there are so many other things that are going on uh, at the Hip Hop Caucus, you know, salute to Rev and the rest of the team there who continue to do just incredible work um, and to also bring real authenticity uh, to the climate movement and the environmental movement and bring some flavor. Um, (laughs) I mean, just real talk, you know, it was kind of opaque for a long time. And, you know, you got to meet people where they are. I hear you. I mean, it's funny when you speak to that. I went to HBCU and I was one of only two environmental science majors. So, you know, the expectation is in the outside world, I wouldn't see many of myself, but I found cohorts that, you know, can feed me in multiple ways. But you're absolutely right. It was, you know, at one point in time, not as um, diverse. Yeah, no doubt. And then also taking, you know, taking hip hop to the hill. So Rev and I, you know, I, I have a lot of experience in the policy realm. So, you know, we would go and engage and educate because we wasn't lobbying. We were educating uh, members, um, mm-hmm. you know, on the things that are going on. You know, that's what we often say from the streets to the suites, because there are a whole lot of folks who, who talk a good game. Folks who are down home, whether they're on the res um, mm-hmm. or, you know, they're in the barrios or, you know, are they in the hood? Uh, or they in the trailer parks, they will let you know if you're real and you're authentic mm-hmm. about what you're doing. So that's yeah. one side of the equation. Um, so, you know, uh, all of us can operate in that space, but we also can operate in the suites and making the connection between mm-hmm. the two, uh, building those bridges. So, you know, again, shout out to all the incredible work that uh, Rev and Liz uh, and TC Muhammad and, and the rest of the crew Uh, continue to do. uh, And now, of course, they're branching out and doing all kinds of incredible things around film uh, and radio and TV um, and still, uh, you know, keeping it real um, with the connection that's going on on the ground. Awesome. That's that's just awesome and beautiful. You know, I've worked in the climate change 
space globally also. And it's widely recognized that least developed countries, indigenous populations, and even people living in poverty share some uncanny similarities with frontline environmental justice communities in the U.S. What's your take on those similarities and differences in the call for climate justice domestically and internationally? Thank you for asking that question, because my work has taken me all across the planet and it is the exact same set of dynamics that are going on. When we see in, in Lowndes County, Alabama, you know, the impacts that are happening in the water quality and sewage space where you literally have folks walking through human waste. Um, same thing in Mebbin, North Carolina. I can go all throughout the Black Belt. I can go into the colonialists that are running along the United States and Mexico border and the lack of access that people have. If you blink, close your eyes and you find yourself in Africa or South America um, or a number of other countries that I've done some work in and spent a lot of time in, you see the exact same dynamic that are going on, um, where there's the lack of access to clean water, and we know water is life, where we have pipelines running uh, through, you know, usually our most vulnerable communities, no matter what country they're in. We got 2.4 million miles of pipeline in the United States of America, fossil fuel pipeline, you know, and that's enough to go to the moon and back twice and then get on and start heading back to the moon. If you <laughs> actually take a look at what's going on across our planet, how much pipeline exists is mind boggling. But you'll see that same dynamic, whether you're in the United States um, or if you're in a number of these other uh, communities uh, or countries, actually, um, along with all the impacts that come. Uh, from exposures. You know, these pipelines continue to breach, whether here in our country or uh, in other countries. Um, so folks are dealing with all the public health conditions that are there. If you look at where power plants, coal-fired power plants, uh, and other greenhouse gas emitting facilities are located, um, when you go to these countries, you see the exact same dynamics. Uh, and unfortunately, um, in our country, there are medically underserved areas and physician deserts. And when you get into other countries, you find, you know, that the medical infrastructure there um, is not uh, suitable or up to par to protect people from the impacts that they're dealing with. When you look in our country, because of the rising temperatures, you'll find black farmers losing their lands. They've been losing their lands over the last hundred plus years at an accelerated rate. And now with, you know, these extreme heat events and droughts that are happening, you know, people are losing their land um, even, even at a quicker rate. And of course, we see the same impacts that are happening with brothers and sisters throughout the Middle East and Africa and in South and Central America. You know, some people don't realize when we saw the, you know, the, the caravan of brothers and sisters trying to, to come to America from Central, from Central America, um, you know, a big driver in that was, you know, the droughts that they had been dealing with and, and these climate emergencies. So we are all interconnected um, and we are all dealing with very similar challenges. And we also uh, have to come together as a planet uh, to build the infrastructure that's necessary to honor justice and to make sure that that is a part of the laws, whether laws that are being developed or existing laws. And we have to figure out a way of sharing resources because folks keep operating from this false paradigm that I have to hoard all of these resources so that I am protected. No one is protected until everyone is protected. Yeah. And that's everyone inside of this country and that's everyone across this planet. If we realize 
that we are one people and not a separate set of people, which people have used to garner wealth over, over time, then we'll be in a much better positioning. And if we don't, the devastating effects that are in front of us um, will make our planet uninhabitable, no matter who you are and where you are. Yeah, it may take a bit longer for those who have been blessed or have been able to garner extremes amount of wealth, but eventually that will not protect you as well. So let's get it together. I'm with you. Certainly. You know, I've done, we've done a little bit of investigative research behind you and it came across our paths that you mentioned that one of your goals is to improve the environmental quality, economic empowerment, health, and political power of vulnerable communities. Why, why do you look at these seemingly disparate issues as necessary and why try to bring them all together? Do you feel it's more effective to see them through one lens or tackling each separately? I think we have to see them through one lens. That doesn't mean we don't bring expertise from all the various uh, aspects of that. Because if we don't, we leave people vulnerable. When you leave people vulnerable, then negative entities will find fertile ground because there is no resistance. So I talk a lot about wealth because I understand that without wealth, um, it makes it very difficult for people to fully be able to balance out uh, the power dynamic that exists. You know, people built wealth off the backs of African slaves with intentionality, right? People brought um, Chinese brothers and sisters to the United States to build the railroad infrastructure. There was intentionality there because they were Mm -hmm. trying to garner wealth. And one, they wanted the expertise, but two, you know, they wanted folks that they could pay a very small wage. And of course, when it came to African Uh, brothers and sisters who were brought to America, they weren't being paid at all. So if you understand the dynamic that is necessary um, to make communities whole and to help them to build power, then we can truly create a society and a planet where everyone is valued and, and where everyone has the ability to truly live out a life that is not only valued by others, but that has the value of knowing that is being honored. You've done a lot of interviews and speaking engagements. And then in the past, you've noted that your vision is to uplift our most vulnerable communities by creating authentic collaborative partnerships committed to moving from surviving to thriving. I'm sure there are many in the environmental justice movement who share this same sentiment as you do and also vision. Can you explain to our listeners a bit more about your specific take on this in particular? Yeah, because, you know, people will say that they are in partnership with others and there is a power dynamic that goes on that they may let you in the room or they might even let you at the table, but that your voice doesn't and your ideas don't carry the same weight. And, and, and it happens in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's, it's from a racial lens Um, where people will see less value in the ideas of people of color and sometimes even lower wealth white communities and indigenous communities, of course. And sometimes, you know, it is an education thing. Um, Some of the brightest people I've ever met didn't graduate high school, didn't get to have a chance, the privilege of going to college, but they were just as bright um, as folks who had multiple PhDs um, or other advanced degrees. Um, So when I talk about authentic collaborative partnerships, 
it is leaving our privilege at the door. It is coming into a space, understanding that everyone has gifts and blessings that they can bring to the process. And that we are going to spend enough time to be able to uh, elevate those blessings and gifts uh, and create something that everyone sees value in. And then after that's created, we are going to make sure that we are continually checking in on the process to make sure that everyone is still seeing value and that if there are any modifications that need to happen. You know, when I talk about authentic collaborative partnerships, it's not rocket science. It's like a relationship, whether it is a husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, partner, whatever it might be. There are a few things that are incredibly important. One, that there is honesty. The other part is, is that there is active communication. Uh, the other one is that you value that partner. Um, and then the last one, you know, is an understanding that, that we're in this together and that you bring a, a set of just incredible gifts that may be different than mine, but that you have uh, the same value. Uh, mm -hmm. And that when we really come together, that we can handle any situation and that we can build something that is, is truly transformative. And for me, that all starts with authentic collaborative partnerships. Solid, well said. Sounds like my marriage, but definitely it, it cross applies. Definitely. These goals and your vision, it's obvious that this is what's considered considered life's work. Like, how close are we to achieving this vision? Every day, every passing day, it seems, you know, there's a new series of challenges. What do you think is necessary for continuing this momentum? I think we're in a perfect moment. I think that we're finally, we're finally at a moment where we're willing to look at the egregious behaviors of the past and the present um, and, and saying that some, it, it needs to change, that there needs to be an evolution. There, there's a cultural shift that is happening, not just in the United States, but across the planet. And, and I think that that is, is the basic foundational uh, need that has to be in place uh, for us to be able to, to make real change happen. I think that people are beginning to realize that um, these huge wealth gaps have to change. Folks are realizing that you know, the current laws and statutes um, of the past and of the ones that will be developed have to be anchored in equity um, and justice. Um, and, and that will help us to begin to dismantle uh, the sins of the past. And, mm -hmm. and I hope people will understand that these truly are sins that we've done. So if we realize that, that there was intentionality and some of the actions that have happened in the past. I'm not saying in totality, but you know, there, there's been some significant uh, strategy and thought that was put into you know, many of the, the bedrocks that, that we put our trust in. That is the past, and we have the opportunity to fix it uh, in the future um, and in this moment. It's not something that we have to wait 10, 20, 30 years for, that, that we can get engaged right now and make a change happen. And, and, you know, the beauty of this moment is also that you see black and brown and, and so many different communities mm -hmm. and, and nationalities and races and all these mm -hmm. labels that we put on each other coming together so that real uh, supported, powerful change can and will happen. 
Um, and that, that excites me to see that folks are really intentional about making change happen. So, you know, it, this whole notion of value and valuing the voices and contributions of others is really important. It's become sort of like, you know, an awareness to many in present day. But also we know there is often a paucity of, of Black voices, much less Black male voices in the mix. Um, in fact, I know this because my husband and his college friends recently launched a podcast called Black Men Think. And you too host a live radio show and podcast called Think 100% with with Antonique Smith and Reverend Lennox Yearwood. I won't share any spoilers to the listeners, of course, but can you share a bit about the podcast, topics you've covered, you know, and continue to cover? Why is it important for listeners to check this out? Well, it's super important. I mean, it's one of the most creative shows. And let me just preface it by saying I'm not a part of the show right now. I'm about to launch a new show, but Think 100 is another one of those transformational uh, vehicles um, because Rev and I took a look and said, well, where are the voices from communities of color um, in relationship to environmental justice, climate, uh, voting? Um, uh, there was a laundry list of things that we unpacked. And we always tried to be cutting edge, you know, in the folks that we brought onto the show. Because we were bringing the voices of folks they had never heard of, but these were people who were leading the fights uh, you know, everyone from, you know, Dr. Bullard and, you know, Bernice Miller, Travis, uh, I mean, all these great EJ leaders. We also were in touch with, you know, all of the developing youth organizations that now everybody knows who they are. We were, you know, um, some of the first to actually bring them on and give them a platform because the goal was always, you know, to create a platform uh, for these young voices, for these voices of color, uh, for those who have often been unseen and unheard, whether in the voting space or the housing space or the returning citizen space uh, or the EJ space or the climate space. And then to also, you know, help to encourage them to create their own entities moving forward, to fully integrate them, you know, into the other types of things that were coming down the road, whether it be, you know, the film stuff or TV stuff or, or larger radio and podcasting opportunities. So, you know, it was always meant to be, you know, a growing platform that would give others the opportunity to make sure that their voices and stories were heard. So you've alluded to an upcoming show. Are you able to sort of divulge a little bit more about that? Are we able to hear about it first here? I don't want to give away too much, but I will say this, that when you've been doing this work, you know, since you've been a student like myself, and, and you take a look and you see where transformative change can happen, uh, one of those is with young people. The other one is with frontline communities. The other one is with athletes. And of course, the other one um, is with artists. And when you're able to bring that mix together, you can reach the masses, and you can also create uh, platforms that hold people accountable, but also uh, share a vision of what a 21st century planet can look like. Lots of times we talk about 21st century America. Hmm. Uh, but uh, so I'm excited about uh, the coming together of many of our most important and influential segments of our population. You know, my whole career has been about 
trying my best to be transformative into doing things outside of the box. So everybody stay tuned and see what happens. Okay, definitely we'll be keeping eyes peeled and keeping, you know, finger on the pulse for when that drops for sure. Exciting. Um, you know, there's an African proverb that says, if we stand tall, it's because we stand on the backs of those who came for, before us. And that resonates deeply with me. You know, all, my path has, has been shaped primarily by, you know, being a classically trained environmental scientist and an exposure scientist. But I often pay homage to many of the environmental justice movement, um, many of those leaders whom I've had the privilege to cross paths with. For instance, while I was at Spelman, Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, shout out. Um, I learned about the work of Dr. Robert Bullard. At that point in time, he was at Clark Atlanta University. And I remember while I was matriculating undergrad, I spent part of a summer internship with the Department of Energy, where a few weeks was spent at the Harambe House, um, also known as Citizens for Environmental Justice, with, with Dr. Mildred McLean, who's just poignant and, and just like a really groundbreaking sort of leader and person to learn from. And then while I was at UMD, I had the opportunity to work alongside with Dr. Sokobi Williams and also Vernice Miller-Travis. And, you know, now my work with ACLIMA, we engage with the West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project with Ms. Margaret Gordon. And all of these are peers and individuals who fought tirelessly to promote change and hold governments and institutions accountable. Would love to know, how did you all find each other in the environmental justice community? It was God, <laughs> really. You know how God brings people together. Mm -hmm. You know, the folks that, that you just mentioned, all of them are family. Sokovi's my fraternity brother, and we came up together. You know, the, the environmental justice movement, especially in the early days, was a small movement that, you know, reached the masses, if you will. You know, that first People of Color Summit in 1991, you know, you had 300 plus folks coming together, you know, but literally representing some would say hundreds of thousands of people. And there are very strong bonds that were built at that time. That didn't mean everybody, you know, agreed on everything. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But people were very, very tight um, in the early days. I remember as a kid coming to some of the early things and I would sit on the couch because I would listen. So the real work was being done in the lobbies and, you know, all the early leaders would be there. And I remember Hazel Johnson, who's the mother of the environmental justice movement. Um, she used to call me the kid and she would pull me over and she was like, I want you to listen and learn um, because one day, you know, you're going to have a responsibility for this. So I always shout out Hazel, um, Hazel also. So let's just get some real talk to the yes. listeners. Yeah. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Barack Obama, president uh, of the United States of America. And if it wasn't for Hazel Johnson uh, giving him uh, his pass in Chicago, we may not mm. have been blessed to have him as our 44th president when he first came to the south side of Chicago and wow. was trying to get traction as an organizer. So <laughs> it's just receipts. real for you. I should have known you would have came with the receipts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I believe in keeping it real. So hopefully... You know, when people are out there, they'll do their research, but too, that, that people give honor to those uh, who paved the way and gave yeah. us an opportunity. And, you know, there just, there were so many incredible folks in the early days. And there's still, I mean, it's such a blessing now that there's so many folks who are focusing on environmental justice, as long as they do it in an authentic way and, mm -hmm, and, and make mm -hmm. sure that it's anchored in communities. I see that as a good thing. You know, folks like Grover Hankins, who was one of the most incredible legal minds, and Luke Cole, another incredible 
uh, legal mind, one white, one black, um, mm. but equally dedicated to what was going on. You know, Gene Sendab, a name, one of the early, early, early leaders who most folks don't call out, um, you know, being embraced by my brother, Richard Moore, uh, who's with the Southwest Network for Economic and Environmental Justice, Ben mm. Chavis, uh, Reverend Ben Chavis, you know, he was, you know, super incredibly important um, in, in today and in the early days and really coining the phrase environmental racism and, and, and helping people to understand what that looked like and doing when he was at the United Church of Christ and Commission for Racial Justice, along with Charles Lee and Bernice Miller Travis, you know, just being able to listen and learn from all of these folks. And of course, my mentor, uh, Damu Smith, one of the greatest organizers uh, in the history of our country. There are about three great organizers. They're great organizers, but they're those who, if we had a Mount Rushmore uh, for organizing, uh, Damu Smith's face uh, would be on that um, just because of how he was able to pull people together, um, how to crystallize uh, the focus on an issue and then get real results. Um, and he did it in a number of different areas. Environmental justice was one, uh, working on some of the war issues um, and a number of other uh, civil rights and, and social justice issues. So I say all that to say that there is an incredible foundation that uh, those of us who work on environmental issues and climate issues and, and EJ and, and a number of the other issues that we all are now focused on, um, the work that was done by these early leaders who were pre-internet uh, in some instances uh, and are never uh, recognized or honored in the form and fashion that they mm -hmm. should be. Um, you know, and, you know, in the environmental world, you know, we'll talk about Rachel Carson uh, mm -hmm. and Rachel's story is important, um, but, you know, no more important uh, than Dana Alston, uh, who actually helped to pull together the first People of Color Summit, which, you know, helped to, to, to move the EJ movement into this modern era, if you will, that we now found, find ourselves in. So when you don't tell their stories, um, then you're not telling the fullness of environmental, climate, and civil rights, and other types of social justice work. Um, and there is literally, uh, you know, a, there should be a scroll with the hundreds and hundreds of names of people who gave their lives, literally, mm -hmm. um, so that we can be in this moment. Wow, beautiful. Zeros have changed over what's truly an amazing career. You have been consistent in working towards environmental justice for millions of Americans. In this, I'm sure you've experienced your fair share of difficult moments, moments where you've had to compromise in other demoralizing moments. Let's, let's end this with an uplifting note. How do you keep yourself motivated through everything? I think about all the voices and faces and embraces um, that I've received from leaders and everyday folks all across the country. Um, and it keeps me going. I, I look at this incredible energy and ingenuity that young people are bringing, and, and it warms my heart. And I really mean that. These challenges, they're, they're serious, but the challenges that I've had to face are nothing like what my ancestors had to face. Uh, I've never had anyone beat me down because of my beliefs, literally physically, you know, I've never been assaulted. I've never been, you know, all the things that those 
of our ancestors and uh, recent ancestors had to go through. Challenges don't really affect me. It makes me uh, work with others harder to think strategically about how they have to be addressed. I'm focused on, I'm focused on the moment and the future. I'm focused on change that I see happening and figuring out ways to elevate that change so others can see it. If they see value in it, replicate it, to, to educate folks about it uh, and to share it more. I'm focused on uh, how brilliant all these new minds are coming in and talking about technology and how we can uh, get that technology into the hands of, of our communities. You know, whether it's around monitoring or app development um, or a whole bunch of other things that are in that technology space. I'm super excited about seeing foundations for the first time beginning to change their portfolios to better support frontline communities and the work that's happening there. I pull on that positive energy and, and I use the words, I'm blessed and highly favored every morning when I get up um, because I get a chance to, I've never had a job. This has been my passion. This has been why God put me here. Uh, and I'm very clear with that. And when you know why God has you there, you still have tough days, mm-hmm. but you also know that this is what you're supposed to do. And, and I'll do it until uh, he, she calls me home. Well said. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Mustafa Ali, for engaging us today, having this discourse and this dialogue. I walk away from, you know, this interview being encouraged and motivated to continue doing the work for those who don't necessarily have the ability, the time, you know, are engaged in their day-to-day lives because of situations that, you know, are outside of their control. We do this work for those who can't do it because it's important and it's the right thing to do. And we appreciate and value your time and your contributions to the broader environmental justice movement. If no one has said it, I'm saying it now. We appreciate you and those in the movement for all of your hard work engaging on behalf of Black, Brown, Latino, Native American, Indigenous populations across the U.S. and internationally. Um, And with that, we'll thank you for your time. Thank you, sister. I really appreciate you and thank you for all the work that you do. With that, I would like to thank our guest Mustafa Santiago Ali and our interviewer Crystal Upperman for joining us on Atmospheric Tales. Please reach out to us if you would like to suggest episode topics, guests or be an interviewer on one of our episodes. Our contact information can be found on our website atmosphericTales.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook to ask questions to our upcoming guests. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and share.